So he introduced an entirely new culture. He, he set a pattern. He created a mindset. He modeled a lifestyle. He created the Jesus culture. That's what we're going to call it. It's a brand new way of life. How many glad you found a brand new way of life? And, and so this month, we're going to focus our attention on Jesus. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. We're going to focus on, on his life, what he said. We're going to talk about what he said. We're going to talk about the different stories that he told. We're going to talk about the people that he touched and the mission that he was on. Amen. Because everything that Jesus did had a point. This is what we need to understand. Everything that Jesus did, there was a reason behind it. There was a purpose behind it. He, it was an example to us in some way. Matter of fact, Jesus' life, we know, his life spoke volumes. You know, John said, in the book of John, he actually said that, that I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that could be written about Jesus. And so what we know is that all we get is a slice. We just get a glimpse of, of, of what Jesus actually did on this world. We, we don't get the whole story. We just get bits and pieces of it. And, and, and I, think, I think we've all heard this saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, Jesus, many times he didn't even need words. You know that? A lot, a lot of things that Jesus did, he, he, didn't, he didn't even use words. He just allowed his actions and his life to establish culture. And so what we can do is we can look at the life of Christ and we can view it as a bunch of random things that happened. Like he had these random interactions with just kind of random people and, and he was just kind of going through life. But I believe that everything that Jesus did Every contact he had, every person he touched, I believe it was strategic. And, and, and I believe that the reason it's in the Bible for us to view and for us to see is because he's wanting to introduce to us a culture. He's trying to show us a new way to think, a new way of life. And so what we're going to do is this month is we're going to take a deep dive and we're going to look at the life of Christ to see what the, to try to look at the picture that Jesus was trying to paint. A miracle is worth a thousand words. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a miracle is worth a thousand words. And I hope that will make sense to you as we go along. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse number one, the Bible says that after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John was in prison, now I'll stop there. This is John the Baptist. This isn't, John, this isn't the disciple. This is John the Baptist was in prison when he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Now let me give you a little background on what's going on here. John the Baptist is in prison. He's, he's, he's at the end of his life and I think he knows that. I think he, I think he knows that, 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 that the last days of his life are approaching. He, he knows that he's probably days away from his execution. And he also knows that the reason God placed him on the earth was to point the way to the Messiah. And so here he is at the end, and he's second-guessing himself. He's, he's at the end of his life, he's kind of second-guessing himself, and I'm, I, I, you know, he's, I'm sure he's looking back and thinking back to remembering the time he was on the riverbanks. He was baptizing people, and, and out, out, out of the woods, and from the distance, Jesus begins to walk towards him. And, 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 and you remember what he said. He saw Jesus, he pointed at him in front of the entire crowd and said, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. I'm sure he's looking back to that day, and, and, and now he's, he's probably thinking back like, man, did I get it right? He's probably second-guessing himself because Jesus is his cousin. So that makes things a little bit weird, right? It's, it's like, maybe I just like was like super enamored with my cousin. He was really good at sports or carpentry or something, and, and you know, he's the one. Maybe, and so now I think he, after his life is kind of coming to a close, he's like, man, did I get it right? Did I fulfill the assignment that God had for me? And so what John does is he sends two of his disciples. He says, I want you to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him, are you the guy? Are you the one? Are you really the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? And so off the disciples went, and they asked Jesus that question, and Jesus replied to them. He says, I want you to go back and report to John what you hear and see. Somebody say hear. See. Say see. He says, hear and see. You see, I believe the gospel. This is what we're talking about, culture. I believe the gospel. I believe Christianity. I believe that the church should be a place that you hear and see. 
It's not just a place that you hear. I would actually break it down even further. What you hear will radically affect what you see. And we can take it even a step further. What you hear will radically affect the way you see. And so Jesus says, I want you to go back. Go back to John in prison. I want you to report what you hear and see and tell him that what you're seeing is, is the blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, leprosy is cleansed, deaf are, are hearing, the dead are being raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Now, we all know that Jesus did miracles. I don't think any of us, I don't think any of us would question that. When we talk about Jesus, you can't talk about Jesus without mentioning some of the miracles that he did. But let me tell you something. He didn't come to do miracles. That's not Jesus' purpose. He didn't say, I'm going to go to earth and do a bunch of miracles. No, Jesus came to earth to save the world. He came to the world to, to save mankind. The reason Jesus showed up is to become a sacrifice. What John said, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. This is the purpose of Jesus. His assignment was to come as a human live a sinless life, spotless, blameless life, so that he could become the lamb who was without blemish. The father could take our sins, place them on Jesus. They would be, they would be crucified to a cross, and so we would have the righteousness of, righteousness of Christ given to us. This is the reason that Jesus came. But what's intriguing to me is that although he came to do that, during his time on the way to the cross, He's just fixing stuff. That's what he's doing. He's just fixing stuff. And so when we, when we read about the life of Jesus, yeah, he's doing all these miracles. He's, he's curing folks. He's, he's healing the sick. But here's the thing. That's not his purpose. That's not the reason he came. But, but as he's on his way to fulfill his purpose, he's just kind of fixing. He's a handyman. That's what he's doing. He's just fixing stuff. He, he comes across a person with blind eyes, and he's like, that's not the culture of where I'm from. Eyes are meant to see where I'm from. And so he, he says, man, he, he fixes them. He, he comes across someone that can't hear. He's like, wait a second. That's not the culture that I'm coming to establish. The ears are meant to hear. And so he opened up deaf ears. So throughout the ministry of Jesus, we're seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. And each one is telling us the culture of Jesus is, is, is not that. It's something different. So here's John the Baptist, and he's in prison, all right? And he asked Jesus, how do I know? you got to remember, Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. He hasn't died on the cross. And so John's like, how do I know? What is the proof that you can give me that you're the one? And Jesus' reply is this in so many words. He said, look at the miracles. He said, look at the miracles because the miracles speak. I'm here today to tell you a miracle is worth a thousand words. And so if the miracles are speaking, what are the miracles saying? That's the question. And if Jesus is telling John and these disciples, hey, report the things that you see and the things that you hear. What are they seeing? Dead the eyes being opened. Deaf ears being opened. Leprosy cleansed. The dead are being raised. The poor having the gospel preached. If the miracles are speaking, what are the miracles saying? And I, I believe that the miracles that we read about in the Bible, God put there for a reason. He put there on purpose. And, and what they speak of is God's priority for us. The miracle wasn't a random thing that happened between God and a person. It was showing us something. It was pointing something to us. It was pointing out something to us, a different type of culture. They, there were people living with things that Jesus says, I don't want that. This is not going to be part of my culture, so let me fix that. Let me repair that. Let me heal that. Let me deliver from that. Let me shift that. Let me change that. And the miracles that we read about in God's word, they remind us of the priorities of God. A miracle is worth a thousand words. And so guess what? I've picked four miracles, and I'm going to speak a thousand words on each of them. Are you ready? All right, number one. The first miracle that Jesus pointed out to John's disciples, he says, the blind see. Jesus came to give vision. The blind see. Jesus gave the blind new vision. The first thing Jesus told John's disciples to report is that the blind receive their sight. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
If you're reading through the Gospels, you'll read seven different times where Jesus healed men of blindness. And it's interesting. He didn't, there's no women that got healed from blindness. Only men. And I think that's interesting because, because men represent leadership. They represent authority. They, they represent headship. And Jesus understands that in order to lead, you have to be able to see. You have to be able to see. Vision is the ability that we have to see. It's, it's different than sight. Sight is seeing what's there. Vision looks at what's there and sees the potential of what's there. You know, I remember, I remember uh, we had this building. We were, we were actually having church in this building, but our, office, our offices were off-site. And a building across the street where the vault is located now came available. And so we scooped that building up really to house our offices and maybe do a, a few Sunday school classrooms in. And I remember it was just an old machine shop. It was just like a big old dirty garage, really, really ugly. Like, and, and, and I mean, you know, I was at the time, I probably was in my late teenage years. And, and my dad said to me, he, he took me in the back room and he's like, Adam, what do you see? I'm just kind of looking around. There really wasn't much to look at. It was kind of a dump, actually. Just dirty, a lot of concrete, not much to it. But then I kind of understood what he was asking me. What do you see? And all of a sudden, my mind began to go wild a little bit. I, I could see a concert venue. I saw a place where, where people were worshiping God. I, I, saw a, I saw outreaches and a skate park that was built there. I, I saw this amazing venue with dynamic praise and worship. I saw an amazing cafe. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's vision. Are you, are you hearing me? That's vision. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed or not, but God put your eyes on the front of your head. You guys notice that? If, if, you, if, if anybody asks you what you learned today at church, you can tell them, I learned that my eyes are on the front of my head. And people will just be, be blown away, all right? I'm, obviously, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. Your eyes are on the front of your head. The reason they're there is to cause you to look forward. To look forward. Here's the thing. Some Christians are like fish. They, they have the fish sticker on their car. And, and, and fish, if you notice something about fish, they have eyes on the sides of their heads. There's a lot of Christians like that. They look just like fish. And they're just comparing. They're looking at what everybody else is doing. They're, they're comparing their, their life to everybody else's. That's not how God called us to live. He played, placed our eyes in the front of our head to look forward. He didn't put them on the back of our head either. Some people are always looking out the back of their head. They're, look, they're looking backwards at, at all, of the, all of the different things that, that they're missed out on or the missed opportunities and, and they're blaming people. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3? He said, one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press toward what's ahead. I press forward to the goal. Come on, the vision, you could say, the prize which God's called me in Christ Jesus. God created you. Are you with me today? He created you to look forward, to look ahead. You are meant to look forward with anticipation. What does hope mean? Hope means to look forward with expectation. And we serve the God of hope. He wants us to look forward with anticipation. He put our eyes in the front of our head to look forward, living with the expectation that tomorrow is going to be better than today. That the best is yet to come. You and I need vision. Somebody say amen. Now, so many people live without vision. They live without destiny. They live without purpose. But vision is so important. So, th so this is why God asked Abraham. Abraham. He said, Abraham, in Genesis 15, he says, I want you to look toward heaven. He says, I want you to count the stars if you can. Now, we all know the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is 65 years old. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going you're gonna to have a son. You're going to be the father. I'm making all these promises. You're gonna have, you're, the, your descendants are going to be so crazy, multiplied. It's going to be like the sand on the sea, the stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, God, I'm 75. Where were you 50 years ago? Right? I'm not, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm 75 years old. I know my wife's not capable. She's 65 and she is done, all right? It's not happening anymore, all right? And, and, and God, says, God says, no, no, I have to do it. Because 
because I, I, have to, I have to show the world that what's not possible with man is possible with God. I have to do it. I, I'm going to show that against all odds, I'm going to bring life where there's death. This is not just going to happen in your life, but this is going to continue on from generation to generation after you. You're the father of the, of the faith. I'm going to restore life through you. So then 15 years later, still nothing. Abraham is now 90. His wife is now 80. He's complaining. He's like, are you serious, God? Like, I'm tired. I'm 90 years old. I don't even have a kid yet. This is frustrating. It's the only thing I want. All I want is a baby. And God pulls him out of his tent at 90 in the middle of the night and says, look up. He's like, I can't see anything. You know, <laughs> I'm 90. You know, I need vision. You know, that's, that's kind of what's going on. But he says, look up and try to count the stars if you can. Now, how much easier would it have been? Just think about this. We know God can do anything, right? How much easier would it have been for God just to take a baby and stick it in Sarah's womb? Fertilize the egg. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. It would have been easy for God to do that. Most people wouldn't even consider that a miracle. It happens all the time. I mean, how easy would it have been for God just to give him a baby? I mean, that, that, that seems like instead God says, I want you to get out of your tent and I want you to look up. It would have been easier for, for God to say, Abraham, baby, baby, Abraham, make the introduction and let's just go on. The problem is, the problem is if, if, if God, if that's all God did, if God, if God would have just put a baby in Sarah's womb, Abraham would have got what he wanted and that would have been the end for him. If his vision was only this baby, because here's the thing, God didn't have just a son for Abraham. He had much more of that. God was determined to set Abraham up as the father of a multitude. And in order to do that, he had to put vision in Abraham. If, 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 if vision for Abraham was only one child with, with Isaac, it had been over. So God had to put something inside of him. Vision creates faith. It creates expectancy. In Romans 4, Paul actually talks about this story. And he says this. He says, contrary to hope, in hope, Abraham believed that God was able to do what he promised. He said, he said that even though the deadness of his own body and the deadness of his wife Sarah's body, he didn't waver. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't doubt because, because he didn't know how it was going to happen. He knew who was going to make it happen. Sometimes we got to shift from how to who. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It, all, it actually says that he was convinced that what God promised, he was more than able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. See, God gave Abraham a vision that would outlive him. He put inside Abraham a vision that would, would go way beyond what he'd be able to fulfill in his lifetime. And so he has his son finally. His son Isaac finally shows up. And Isaac lives out and actually carries on the same vision. The vision God gave Abraham was now Isaac's. And so Isaac has, has a couple sons, Jacob and Esau. And now they get up, they, they grow up, and they have kids. And we know that Jacob ends up having 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. And the Bible says that when, when, when the entire family moved to Egypt, there was 70 of them. It still doesn't look like the promise God gave Abraham, but it's working its way through the generations. And we know when they came out of Egypt, it wasn't 70 anymore. Now it's in the millions. It's in the millions. And now as they're marching toward the promised land, the enemies are looking at God's people, and, and they say that the land is filled with the people of God. The, the, the promise is happening, but it takes generations and generations. God wants to put vision inside of you that lives way beyond your ability to accomplish. Somebody say amen. I was really hoping everybody would clap right there. I actually had it in my notes. Pause and let everyone clap. But just Bryn did it. Thank you, Brent. What is vision? Well, vision is a picture of your, of your destination. God wants you to have a picture of a destination or, or a future place that's not currently here. He wants to give you something to shoot for. That's why we value at this church, one of our values is we have big dreams and we take small steps. 
You were created to have vision. That's the culture. That's the Jesus culture. Jesus came to bring vision. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, I don't have a God vision. God's, God hasn't given me a vision. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You need to get a vision from God because you're going to have vision. You were created to house a vision. And if you don't have a God vision, that doesn't mean that you're just going to have this vacuum in your brain. No. If you don't have a God vision, Satan will do it. He'll give you, the devil will come in and give you a negative picture for your future. He, he will slide in there. He wants to fill you with fear. He wants your life to live like a nightmare. He wants you to visualize yourself not married, divorced, alone, broke. He wants you to see yourself in dysfunction, laying in a hospital, terminal with disease. He wants you to believe that you'll never be on top financially. He wants to fill you with a picture of impossibility. But here's what I want to tell you today, and this is the good news, that I believe that when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, he's going to generate a picture in your mind. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future. Somebody say future. A future and a hope. God wants to put that inside of you. He wants to put that inside of you. Vision is essential. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop dreaming. God wants to give you a life with vision, something that goes beyond what you could physically do yourself. This is the Jesus culture. Amen. Number two. Number two. God... Jesus gave, gave those who lacked, he gave them provision. Those who lacked, he provided for them. There's something that Jesus constantly fixed, and that was lack. He fixed poverty. That's what he did. Now, there's one miracle in our, all four Gospels, and you, you've probably heard me talk about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again. And it's the feeding of the 5,000. So, so listen to this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every Gospel talks about this miracle. Now, if, if I'm writing one of the Gospels, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... You would think that these guys would all write about Lazarus raising him from the dead, but they didn't. You would think they would all talk about Jesus walking on water. I mean, that's pretty significant, but they didn't, all right? You'd think they'd talk about Jesus calming the storm. No, all four Gospels, the only miracle that's recorded in all of them is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, if that's the case, it's got to be significant. It must be pretty important if all four Gospels are talking about this one. Now, the reason I think that this miracle is important is it's because something we're going to have to fight with for the rest of our lives until we get to heaven. And the thing that we're going to have to fight is a thing called lack. We're going to have to fight with lack. So here's Jesus. He's with the 12. I want you to try to picture this with me. Jesus is with the 12, and there's 5,000 men there. Now, some of you women are going to be upset, but they didn't count women then. Don't blame it on me. That was how it went. Okay, they didn't count women. So, so, so we have to estimate that if there's 5,000 men there, that means if you count women and kids, there could be upwards of 15 to 20,000 people that showed up that day. That's a lot of people. They've just listened to Jesus speak, and they're hungry. Same thing that happens to you. After you hear me preach on a Sunday, you're like, I need to eat. You're just rushing to the restaurants trying to beat everybody there, right? Something about when you hear the gospel, it makes you hungry on the inside. I don't really know why. But, but, but here they are. They're all getting hungry. They're all, they're all kind of complaining about that. And so, so the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, man, these people are hungry. What are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, find me some food. And so they bring to him five loaves and two fish. They present them to Jesus, all right? And, and, and now here, here's the thing. We would all of that, all of us would look at that. We'd look at 15, 20,000 people, five loaves, two fish. It looks like an impossible task. Right? Right? I mean, what good is this with this? With this. I mean, the reason this Bible is in all four Gospels, the reason that this miracle is in the Bible is because you're always going to have a greater vision in front of you than the resources you have with you. You're always going to have a greater vision in front of you than the resources you have to complete it. And so the disciples are looking at the five loaves and two fish, looking at the need, and, and their response is this. In, in Mark 6, they say, Jesus, send the people away. 
we would all do the exact same thing. Send the people away. In other words, Jesus, look at our resources, look at the need, dismiss the vision. Dismiss, in other words, Jesus, you've got to be realistic. I mean, come on, we've got to deal with reality. Let me tell you, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in that reality. I believe we have access to the greatest X factor in the history of the world. Why not create a whole new reality? I mean, you don't need to get rid of the vision. You just got to introduce God into the equation. Somebody say amen. So, so, so fast forward two chapters. Mark chapter 8. Disciples get into the boat. Jesus tells the disciples as they're getting in the boat. He says, I want you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. And when he's talking about leaven, all the disciples are hearing is, is he's talking about yeast. He's talking about bread. What the heck is Jesus talking about? He must be hangry. We forgot the bread. All those leftovers. We, we, we're on the boat. We have no food. Jesus is hungry. He's irritated. He's upset with us because we forgot to bring bread. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, aware of what they were thinking, Jesus says, why are you guys talking about having no bread? Don't you understand? So, so then he begins to pepper the, the disciples with questions. Now you got to hang in here with me. This is going to be kind of fun, okay? He, he begins to tell me, guys, guys, do you have eyes to see and fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they said 12. He says, okay, well, what about when I fed the 4,000? I had seven loaves and, and, and more fish. How many basketfuls did, did you pick up that time? And they said, seven. And then he says, do you not understand? And that's the end of the story. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Do you not understand? So I'm going to break it down for you. Is it okay if I break it down for you? I'm breaking it down. So judging what happens next, they don't understand. They don't ask the question. They don't even bother to ask. But, but Jesus says, when, when there was 5,000 men plus women plus children, all right, and, and all we had to work with was five loaves and two fish, after everybody ate, after everybody was satisfied, how many basketfuls did you pick up afterwards? And they said, 12. He's like, that was right. He says, well, what about the time with 4,000 men plus, plus, you know, women and children? That time we had 4,000 people, but we had seven loaves and a handful of fish. How, many, how much did you pick up after that one? And they said, seven. Do you get it? Do you understand? When they had more people, when they had more need and less resources, they had more leftover. When they had less people and more resources, they had less leftover. Are you with me? Your brain has been configured by the world to remove God from the equation. And so what we think, we're programmed to think that the more resources I have and the less need that I have, I'm doing great. If I've got more resources than I have need, then I'm doing just fine. But Jesus' culture says the exact opposite, that the bigger miracle happens when you have less resources and a greater need. Come on. Jesus is showing them the more you need God, the greater the result of God. Are, are you hearing that? One of God's names in the Bible is El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the self-sustaining one. He's the one that sustains everything. He's the one that provides for everything. He's the one that keeps your heart beating every single day. He's the one that holds the entire universe together. He creates everything from nothing. He can meet your need. He can, he can cancel your lack. Come on, we don't need to look to Joe Biden and the government to hand out stimmies for us. We've, we're connected to God who has everything we need. Can somebody say amen? Come on, somebody. The culture of Jesus is vision and provision. He wants to give you vision. He wants to give you a vision that's so much greater than the resources you have with you. But then he wants to miraculously provide for you and take away the lack, cancel the lack. If you believe that, shout amen. That's the Jesus culture. Number three, 
Number three, I love the fact that Jesus raised the dead. Well, I love the fact that Jesus raised the dead. Does anybody else love the fact that Jesus raised the dead? Jesus gave the dead brand new life. There's a story in Mark chapter 5. Jairus, he's a, he's a leader in the synagogue. He's kind, of a, he's kind of a top dog. He comes running up to Jesus. His daughter is deathly ill. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is about to die. Can you come pray for her? And Jesus says, yeah, let's go. And so they begin to walk and people are, are, are thronging Christ. They're touching him and, and, and there's people in the way and they're trying to avoid the traffic and they're trying to get on their way because they're in a hurry to pray for Jairus' daughter. About that time, all of a sudden, Jesus stops in his tracks and says, somebody touch me. And the disciples are like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. Chill out. Like, like everybody's bumping into you, man. It's unavoidable. He goes, no, I felt power leave. He turned and he saw a woman who'd been suffering for 12 years with an issue of blood. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. She's healed instantly. Instantaneous miracle. Right at the exact same time, one of Jairus' servants comes to him and says, says he says, Jairus, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter's dead. Which, which is really kind of rude. Like, can you think about it? Keep breaking a little easier. Thanks, Kevin. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, <laughs> it's like, wow, man, can you have a little more tact? But, but then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, here's this guy, here's this negative report, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, he says, do not be afraid, only he says, do not be afraid, only believe. You've heard this negative report that your daughter is dead, and fear can grip you. What is fear? Fear is believing something you can't see will happen. That's fear. What is faith? Faith is believing something you can't see will happen. It's very, very different. So Jesus goes into the house. He kicks everybody out. He says, he says Jairus, don't believe that something you can't see will happen. Believe that something you can't see will happen. He follows him up the stairs with his disciples who were with him. And they went into where the child was. Jesus took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Listen, Jesus raised the dead. He continually, time after time, destroyed funerals, wrecked mourning everywhere he went when Lazarus was sick. Lazarus, one of his, one of his best friends, is sick. Word gets to Jesus, but Jesus is having like a revival service, great momentum in his ministry. He's really preaching good. He's like, listen, I can't go right now. I'll get to it later. Meanwhile, Lazarus dies. He's four days dead, and, and Jesus decides to go. And, 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 and here's the thing. Uh, um, Jesus came, enters the city. And listen, anytime Jesus enters the city, dead things don't stay dead. Listen, there's people in our city... There's people in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our schools that are dead. They are dead in drugs. They're dead in despair. They're dead in depression. They're dead in anxiety. They're dead in hopelessness. They're dead in addiction. Are you with me today? Thank God for the gospel, all right? Because Jesus came to bring new life, all right? And so Jesus entered the town, and Martha meets him and, said, and he says, Lord, she says, Lord, if you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus says, but, but even now, I know, I know he'll rise again. And Jesus says, you better believe he's going to rise again. And she goes, yeah, I know, on the last day, you know, when we all go to heaven. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a second. You got your theology right, but you forgot who just showed up. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Wherever I go, resurrection follows, all right? You better believe when I walk into death, death bows its knee. Death can't, death can't continue to be death. Death turns to life. Jesus came to give new life. Jesus came to give you new life. Are you hearing me today? The Jesus culture that I'm talking about today is new life. Dead things don't stay dead when Jesus shows up. So God gives vision. God gives provision. He cancels lack, and God gives new life. And, and here's the thing. I told this to the 830 service. I'll tell you too. If you're religious in here today, you're going to hate number four. So I'm gonna, if anybody wants me to skip it, just raise your hand, and I won't do number four today. Anyone? Okay, I'll do it then. All right. Number four, Jesus came to make your life worth celebrating. Jesus came to make your life worth celebrating. Now, I, I grew up in a church 
And, and, and our church, when we started this church, I'll say, we had this special time in our services for testimonies. And it was really, really cool. Like a lot of people would give these testimonies. And then testimonies got super weird, so we stopped doing them. Okay, that's just the truth. So anyways, I noticed that many times when people would get up here, and if you, if you were around back then, you would remember, many times people would get up there and, and Christians would, be, would define themselves. It actually got competitive. They would define themselves by the things they no longer did. For example, they come up here and they go like, you know, when I was in the world, I did all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I was getting loaded all the time, like all the time, every day loaded. It was so crazy. Every weekend, you know, we were trying different things. We were smoking funny things. We were making love out by the lake uh, uh, to our favorite song. We were sipping whiskey out the bottle, not thinking about tomorrow, singing Sweet Home Alabama all summer long. That's what people were doing. <laughs> they were just getting up here and like, well, I, I was having the time of my life, man. You know, I was surrounded by women in bikinis, and they, and they were touching me on my hair, and, and uh, it was awesome. And, and then I got saved. Now I come to church on Sundays. I'm just like, yeah. Like it was like it was it was like it got competitive. People were going back and forth and doing all these things, and 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 all of a sudden it's like it's like God saved you, and now now what I do is you know I get on social media and I condemn everybody for for living in their lives of sin. Woohoo! That's that's kind of what their life's all about. But I'm gonna ask you: Does anybody remember Jesus' first miracle? What was it? Come on, what was it? It was, it was water to wine, all right? And so here's the thing. This is, I, I was thinking about this this week. God sends his only son to come into the world to save the world, okay? If I'm that son, like if I'm Jesus, I'm coming in hot. You know what I mean? Like I'm com everyone's going to know that Jesus, the son of God, has just arrived. Like, my miracle that I'm going to do, I'm going to be walking on water like this. You know what I mean? Making sure the, the pictures are catching me. Look at Jesus. The Son of God has arrived. He's walking on water. This is amazing. Never been done before. I, I'm coming in hot like that. I'm raising the dead. My first miracle is definitely not turning water into wine. Water into wine. As I'm thinking about it, this has to be intentional. I don't think he's trying to tell us, like, let's go drinking. I don't think that's what this, this is all about. I think... I think he's trying to establish a culture because he's coming to save people that had been living with the law. Are you with me today? Yeah. Living with the law. They had the Ten Commandments, and then they added like 500 more. And so these people, all they've known is don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you can't do this, don't do that, it's not good, you shouldn't do that, don't do that. All, that's all they know. And so Jesus shows up as the Son of God, and he said, this is not the culture I want. I didn't come here to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's not why I exist. He shows up and says, number one, you're missing it, guys, because number one, you can't fulfill the law. That's why I'm here. I came to fulfill it. And number two, I came so that you can have life and life more abundantly. Are you with me today? So, he, so his first miracle is turning water into wine. What's he saying? I'm going to take the ordinary... I'm going to make it extraordinary. Everything, including your life. I'm taking what's ordinary, and I'm going to make it extraordinary. I'm a God that restores hope. I'm a God that restores life. Let me tell you, let me tell you about our God. Our God says your wedding is worth celebrating. Come on, man. Your wedding is worth celebrating. Your birthday, it's worth celebrating. Richard and Hilda today, 17 years married. It's their anniversary today. I think their anniversary is worth celebrating. Come on, let's give a big round of applause. Happy anniversary. Come on, man. Listen, I don't look back at my pre-Jesus years and think to myself how awesome it was. When I look back to my pre-saved years, I think about how miserable I was trying to trick everyone. That's what sort of, I was Fetched out that my friends would find out that I was a church boy. I was afraid they'd find out what I did on the weekends. And so that's why I wanted none of them to have my phone number. And then the school gave everyone everyone's phone number. I saw them like, are you kidding me? They know my number. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's not really a big deal. It wasn't my house. 
because the phone number from my home was also the number to the church. When my dad answered the phone, this is how he answered it. Praise the Lord. My mom was somewhat better. She would like praise chapel. You like me? So when the phone rang, like, oh, get it. I'll get it. I mean, what's wrong with hello? What happened to hello? Can we just say hello? <laughs> so I was freaked out. My parents would find about, I was freaked out that my, my, my friends would find out about my, my weekend life. And I was afraid that my parents would find out about what I was doing outside of church at school. And so sure, yes, in that life, there was times of momentary fleeting pleasure but the day I surrendered my life to Christ man, let me tell you what happened life came life came let me tell you about my life I love my life I, I lo I'm not ashamed one bit at the, what God has blessed me with not even a little bit I'm not ashamed to enjoy the blessings that God promises with right living I don't believe that God called me to live on this earth and be miserable. I mean, think about all the things that they accused Jesus of, all these religious people. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Oh my gosh, they're not even washing their hands. They're not wearing masks. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Right? They, why aren't they following the rules? I mean, I mean think about it. You're always going to have this religious spirit that's so strict, never a happy people. But Jesus came to show us a different culture. He came to show that life is worth celebrating. His first miracle, what does his first mean? First means priority. That's why when we come and we bring our first fruits to God and we drop them in the offering, what are we saying? We're saying, God, you're first in my life. I'm putting you first in my finances. So this is the first miracle. This is showing us God's priority. And he's trying to say this. He's saying, guys, I'm the source of all life. If you want to have a good life, if you want to have a life that is truly life, let me tell you something. You, you can just come to me because I'm going to give you a life that's worth celebrating. I'm the source of celebration. I want you to enjoy. I want you to be full of life. I want you to have a great time. I want you to enjoy times with your family. You should look forward, come on, to vacation once in a while. Can I hear somebody say amen? Come on, you should look forward to going out to eat and celebrating. I love it when I see different families and doing things together and having a great time celebrating birthdays and celebrating anniversaries you weren't meant to just exist come on we weren't meant to just be miserable and hope that someday it gets better in heaven no Jesus came to establish a culture here on this earth the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to Jesus Dave David Winchester gave his life to, to Christ. I've been celebrating all week long. Come on, we all celebrated with him as he got baptized today. Come on, all of heaven rejoices. I'm going to tell you what, God's, God created us and put us in a culture of celebration. We're not just holding on and hoping someday we get to experience some joy. No, I'm going to have some joy right here and right now. I'm going to live the life that's truly life. If you want that same thing, say amen. Amen. Come on. Let's get the worship team up here. I'm going to celebrate this morning. So maybe you've, you've grown up. Maybe you've grown up believing that God's mean. And that God holds a grudge. Maybe, you're, maybe you've grown up believing that he's taking notes and all the different things that you've screwed up on. And, you know, a lot of times have, people have this picture of God. And I used to, too. I used to have the picture of God. You guys ever seen that game, you know, where you, where you have, like, the, the mallet? And when the little thing pops up, you're meant to hit it? You know, like, the, uh, the goal of the game is just to beat that thing on the head. I kind of pictured God like that. Every time I messed up, he was there just to, just to give me a good one, knock me across the head. And, he, and here's the thing. A lot of times, that's people, they have that picture of God. I'm not, I don't believe that that's who God is. My Bible tells me that God keeps no record of wrongs. My Bible says that as far as the east is from the west... That's how far he throws my sins when I come to repentance. That's how far he's removed us from our transgressions when we come to Christ. The Bible says when he forgives our sins, he remembers them no more. So maybe you're here today, and I want to tell you something. God wants to meet with you. If you've never accepted Jesus into your life, 
God wants to have relationship with you, not to tell you what you're doing wrong, not to tell you how awful you are and cause you to be miserable about the things that you've done in your past. The Bible says that he's, his anger lasts for a moment. His favor, a lifetime. You see, God wants to, he wants to shower you with his favor. That's what he wants to do. He loves you that much. We talked about Jesus today. The culture of Jesus is to seek and save those that are lost. And along the way, he's fixing things. And he's showing us, as he's fixing these things, he's showing us how he wants us to live. He's showing us the type of life he wants us to live. That he wants us to be people with vision. He wants us to live with a, with a future in mind that's bigger than anything that we could accomplish in our lifetimes. That's, what he, that's how he wants us to live. And we'll say, well, I don't have the means to do that. Like, I have a vision. I have a dream for my life. But, but man, there's no way that that could be possible. Well, well, he showed us that not only does he give us the vision, but he also provides for it. He cancels lack. The miracle that's recorded more than any is, is Jesus' ability to take vision that's so big, it's so beyond, and to, and to meet that with resources that are so little. God wants to do that for you. He wants to, I talked today that everywhere Jesus goes, he raised the dead to life. That's what happened to me when I gave my life to Christ. The Bible says that we're all dead in our sins. That the thing that separates us from God is our sin. And on all of us, we couldn't avoid it. We're just sinners. That's how, that's how we are. We were born that way. It's in our veins. Like it's, it's in our bloodline. We're sinners. And so, so the reason God sent Jesus into this world is to fix that. Is to, is to somehow, somehow Jesus would become the sacrifice. And so Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. Never did anything wrong. I don't know if you can even, it's hard to even fathom that. He never did anything wrong. He was a spotless lamb without blemish. John pointed him out and knew right away, behold the Lamb of God, he's come to take away the sins of the world. He would minister for three years. And the religious people, I told you earlier, they hated him so much. They accused Jesus of doing things he'd never done. They, they, they incited a riot, a mob, and they came for Jesus, and they humiliated him. They mocked him. They beat him. They pulled out his beard. They put, in, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Later, they would, they would put him on a cross. They would exchange Jesus for a, 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 a true criminal. They'd take Jesus, and in, in that criminal's place, who rightfully deserved to die, Jesus went in his place. And he was illustrating in that moment that he was going to exchange a perfect life for ours. He died on the cross that day, shed all of his blood. He went into a tomb, was buried, and three days later, he rose victorious. He canceled our sin that day. It's the cancel culture that I'll talk about. That Jesus canceled our sin, dead and gone. Far as the east is from the west, as far as how far God, I am from my transgressions. That's how much he loves us. And today he wants to give you new life. He came to give new life. Maybe you're here today and you don't have Jesus in your life. You've never accepted Jesus in your life. I'd love to pray with you today. It would be my absolute joy and honor to pray with you as you invite life in because Jesus wants to save you. Maybe you're here today and you say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, come on. Just raise your hand all over this place. God wants to touch you. He wants to, he wants to save you today. Is there anyone like that? Anyone at all? All over this place, side to side, front to back. Come on. Come on, is there anyone here? You say, I want, I want new life. I want new life. I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I want new life. If that's you, anyone at all, anyone at all, God, side to side, front to back. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us new life. If you're saved today, you've given your life to Christ and you've experienced new life, would you stand to your feet all of this assembly today? Lord, we thank you today. Maybe lift your hands and say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for introducing me to a new culture a Jesus culture. 
Thank you, Lord, today that I no longer have to live in sin. I no longer have to live with guilt. I no, have, no longer have to live with sorrow. I no longer have to live with, with pain. Lord, I no longer have to live with regret. Lord, I thank you that you've come to heal my body. Lord, I don't have to live with, with sickness and illness, and I don't have to live with disease. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. If that's you, just thank the Lord. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a new life. And Lord, we thank you today that you've made life worth living. We thank you today that you've given us something to celebrate. Lord, we thank you today for the blessings that come with right living. Lord, we thank you, we thank you today, Lord Jesus, that, that you came to turn water into wine. Lord, you to make ordinary extraordinary, and that includes our life, Lord. So in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that it only gets better. Come on, would you say that, Lord? It only gets better. Lord, we expect better. We expect the best is yet to come. Come on, would you sing that today? It only gets better, Lord, serving you. It only gets better living for you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on. It only gets better. Yeah. It only gets better. Come on, sing it. It only gets better. Oh, lift your voice and say, come on. It only gets better. Have a great week. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for coming to Elevate.